This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. These days, almost 20% of Americans currently take some type of herbal or non-herbal supplement. But supplements aren't held to the same standards as FDA-approved drugs. And the evidence indicates that few are effective, many are useless, and others may be harmful. Here to help us navigate all of this is Michelle Kaliva. She's a registered nurse and the administrative director of the Upstate New York Poison Center. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks so much for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's begin with this idea of herbal supplements. I mean, so many Americans are taking all of this. As a matter of fact, I read somewhere that it's a $37 billion industry in the United States. And I also mentioned that 60% of women are taking supplements regularly. Um, But the research, obviously, is not suggesting their efficacy. So I thought we'd start by talking about herbal supplements. First of all, the definition. What is an herbal supplement? So it's a fairly broad definition. It includes leafy plants uh, primarily, but people also talk about herbal medication and and use the term as alternative medications. That's another um, pretty common term. Or or it's a natural product. There's a a real sense that, that these products are safe because they grow in the ground. They're natural. There's no additives. There's no chemicals to them. And they come in things like tablets, capsules, powders, extracts, teas, a whole variety of things. So if they're natural, what's the problem with taking them? Well, they, there are chemical compounds within the product. So, for example, uh, a little little deviation to this, but the plant foxglove. It's a plant. People don't take foxglove, but it has digitalis in it. Digitalis is what's used to make digoxin, cardiac medication. So if you picked up a, a foxglove plant and ate it, that would be a toxic product. It's natural, it grows in the ground, but it does contain a toxic chemical. Same with all these herbals, variations in concentrations of a whole lot of different chemicals. And also, that often they don't have safety warnings attached to them. I mean, they're not so highly regulated. So we can talk more about the possibility that you're not even getting what you think you're getting when you buy something like this. But the fact is, it's kind of like the Wild West a little bit out there when you buy herbal supplements. Yeah, you and I could both go into a store and pick up a, a, a bottle of a product, and our products could be completely different in terms of concentration and actually ingredients. The, the product itself may not even be in there. The labeling is not regulated. It's not mandated. And depending on where the product was, the plant was cultivated from, the time of year, the concentrations vary. The other issue to me that I think is really important for people to keep in mind is that the side effects of these drugs and how they may may interact with drugs you are already taking that are prescriptions and prescribed by your uh, healthcare provider. You need to really understand that there may be some serious kinds of issues. And the FDA does not regulate these drugs in any, or we'll call them drugs, but these herbal products in any way. I thought what we would do is start by uh, discussing a few of them just to Mm -hmm. give an overview of the kinds of things. How about something like chamomile, which seems like a very um, gentle kind of thing. People always say, let's have some chamomile tea. It'll quiet you down. It'll relax you. Are are there issues with it? Sure. So whether it does all of that is certainly still questionable, but people do have allergic reactions to chamomile tea. Again, anytime you're taking a, a plant, there is that, or really any chemical, there's a chance you're going to react to it. 
people would react to echinacea as well. Echinacea is used to help boost the immune system. People, well, it's said to. Exactly. It is stated to. Yes. No real evidence that it does it, but it is, it's, it's promoted that way. I, you know, you'll hear people say echinacea. It's, I'll take it as soon as I have the start of a cold and I'm fine. But reality is people have allergic reactions to echinacea. It might be, Especially if they're allergic to things. I think these, both those those chamomile and echinacea are related to ragweed mm-hmm. and and other things that could elicit an allergic reaction. Everything from sneezing, itchy nose to difficulty breathing and, and hives. So take you need to take it with with some caution. Make sure you're not allergic. I want to just take a sidebar here and talk about when people kind of become, um, you know, an advocate for taking these kinds of things. What we don't really know is this whole notion of the placebo effect. In other words, you think this is supposed to help you in a certain direction, and because you think it's supposed to help you, you may actually experience some relief or some the, the touted reason for taking it. But obviously, data to this at, at this point is is thin in terms of it really being effective. Absolutely, the, the power of positive research. thinking is wonderful, but yes, in terms of hardcore evidence-based research, it's not there. How about ginseng? Because that's another one that's often been talked about as a remedy from everything from colds to fatigue and even to memory loss. Yep, and, and stress as well. You can have an increase in heart rate, increase in blood pressure. I'd be very cautious if I was um, an individual that was being treated for hypertension, for high blood pressure, for tachycardia, because this drug, this chem, I shouldn't say drug again, this medication, this herbal preparation can actually cause something called a ginseng syndrome, which is agitation, increase in blood pressure. You're very, very hyper, unanticipated, I'm sure, from the average user of this product, but it, it happens. And they might not even link it to that. Exactly. The other thing I noticed with ginseng was that it can interact with aspirin and the anti-clotting agent, Coumadin. Yep. So that's something to be aware of if you're on that kind of medication. How about ginkgo biloba? Right. So people are, are really promoting this for Alzheimer's disease, but again, that drug, is, that product as well can cause an anticoagulation uh, interaction. There's a lot of agents out there that if you are on Coumadin, you really need to avoid, uh, including a garlic. Garlic supplement will do the same thing. It will take your um, the, the effects that you get from the Coumadin and potentiate it, and you could end up having real significant bleeding disorder. So, in fact, it may not only interfere with it, it may exacerbate yep. it or amplify yes. the effect, and therefore you need to know that. Ginkgo does that as well. How about St. John's Ward? For a long time, and when all the SSRIs came out and everybody was saying, you know, if you want an antidepressive, you need a medication, people would turn to this so-called herbal sub, uh, substitute for it in St. John's Ward. Is there evidence for, it, for its efficacy? There is not, but, but probably even more worrisome, it's a, it does have the potential to interact with somebody who is on an SSRI. So you're already on an antidepressant and you take St. John's wort. You could actually cause uh, what's called serotonin syndrome, which is a life-threatening syndrome. Your temperature goes up, your heart rate goes up, you get very agitated. We see that on occasion and, and manage those cases in the poison center. It's a very serious interaction in if somebody is deciding to take St. John's wort, they really need to make sure that they've talked to their prescribing physician about it. One last one here that I want to just run through is green tea. That's something that, again, has been touted as something that's going to save your life, keep you living longer, if it's a fighting cancer. There have been all kinds of claims associated with it. One, is there any proof to it, also to lower cholesterol? It, has there been any you know, documented data 
to support it? And then what are the potential hazards? So the big thing with green tea, it, again, it, sometimes it's okay. And people take it whether it's eff, eff, effective is limited. There is not the evidence. Is it going to... Is it going to be problematic taking it in small amounts? Probably not. But there's some potential for some liver damage associated with high quantities. And I hear people talking about large consumption of green tea on a daily basis. That's always worrisome. You really have to moderate how much you take. And I actually see that that also can affect um, your blood clotting if taken in very large doses. Most of them can. The other one is soy. People tend to take uh, a, a lot of soy products believing that maybe it's going to help lower cholesterol. It's probably fine, except in postmenopausal women, it has been linked to increasing their likelihood of developing breast cancer. That's a very important comment. Mm -hmm. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with drug expert Michelle Kaliva, and we're talking about herbal and vitamin interactions that you need to be aware of. So the bottom line, at least so far with these herbs, is you really need to know what's in them and know what you're taking and maybe discuss it with your healthcare provider and not just see it as, oh, that's kind of, you know, non-prescription, off the, you know, uh, over-the-counter kind of thing and, and with no awareness of the fact that it can literally have some negative consequences. Let's get to vitamins because vitamins and supplements, <clears throat> excuse me, they, you know, we know that naturally occurring vitamins and minerals are very important for health, but this whole idea of taking supplements, there haven't been a lot of clinical trials supporting a lot of these. And the most popular one today I wanna to talk about is calcium. We have looked at calcium a bit, and a lot of women you know, concerned about things like osteoporosis will take calcium, and I think that even the recommendations for how much have changed. Tell us about calcium. Both calcium and vitamin D have been touted um, as, as so important, and in, in our diet, they are, and there probably are occasions when a, a physician is going to prescribe both both of them together. Um, One, don't you need vitamin you D? Do to you help, need vitamin D to, to actually have the calcium it. right be absorbed to and be absorbed. utilized. Yep. So, so physicians will recommend, and there there are occasions when you'll get a blood level that shows that your vitamin D is down, and physicians will do it. But taking those products on your own are dangerous. For example, muscle weakness muscle pain, muscle loss have been associated with high levels of, of both of those vitamins. So again, you think that it's, it's, not, it's going to be safe. You can go buy it in, in any drugstore, herbal um, store, but without physician oversight, you could potentially make the symptoms you think you're treating worse. Yeah, and I saw something that really shocked me is that it, there can actually be an increased risk of heart disease and kidney stones if you take a high amount. It's better to get it from, this is calcium now, yep. it's better to get it from diet rather than the supplements. But what we do know is that it's hard to get vitamin D from diet, and right. it's, it comes from the sun, from your skin exposure, being exposed in, in our climate. Very few of us are out. We don't have much sunshine, right, and when exactly. we do, we're not out without our clothing, you know, much exposure. So in that case, some vitamin D is important. But I think your bottom line here is you need to discuss this with mm -hmm. your health care provider to make sure your levels are right. What about things like glucosamine and chondroitin? Is there any, you know, again, people with, cart you know, like knee problems, they've said it rebuilds cartilage and all of this. Is there any truth to that? Again, very, very limited evidence that those products work. And bottom line, um, I think people take them 
again, we go back to the power of suggestion. They think that works very, very little evidence that they are effective. How about omega-3 fatty acids? You know, there was a big push for fish oil. Mm -hmm. You know, take fish oil, live longer yep. kind of thing. I mean, basically, I know if you get your fish oil from natural, from food, from salmon, from things you eat, that makes sense. But how about these capsules? Probably not. It, it probably is not being absorbed well. And bottom line, if you're eating a healthy, well-balanced diet, you're probably getting a sufficient amount. That's inclusive, again, of, of like salmon. But taking, taking the supplements, it's probably not being absorbed. It's probably not having the effect that the desired effect. So I think the bottom line here I just want to keep reiterating is that because of the potential for interaction, drug-drug interaction, because there's not a lot of data supporting some of these herbal supplements or these vitamin supplements, it's important to actually speak to your healthcare provider before you take these. Just go out to GNC and buy everything that's promising, you know, to give you long life and great memory and all of this kind of thing. One of the biggest mistakes people make when they go to their physician for, a, for an appointment or show up in an emergency room, when they're asked to list their medications and they don't include their, the, anything that they take, whether it's a supplement, a food additive, they really need to include this. So I would strongly encourage people that write down the list of medications that they're on to include every vitamin they take, every mineral that they take, every herbal medication they take, including the name and the dose that they're taking daily. And one of the other things I think that you alluded to earlier, I think is really crucial, is that these are manufactured without scrutiny. And different manufacturers, I think there was some court case that came up where some of the things that they were selling, and I don't have the name of the particular uh, company, it didn't even contain, it, there were fillers, there wasn't even active ingredients that were purported to be in there. So you don't even know that you're getting what you're supposed to be getting. And you don't know what the fillers are. You don't know what the contaminants are. So you're putting yourself and contaminants. there. Yeah, that's the other thing, mm -hmm. that there are other things put in there that you really have no idea about. Um, very briefly, what about something like energy drinks? That's become kind of the rage of late. What's the problem with that? Well, what is the product in it that's causing you to have the energy, to have that stimulation? It's some type of stimulation. It's either going to be a caffeine-based product or it's going to be a plant that causes stimulant effects. Again, if you have increased heart rate and brain and uh, hypertension and you're being treated for it and you take a stimulant, an energy drink, it's just going to make your symptoms worse. People will feel like they're crawling out of their skin. Not regulated. We don't know what they are. They pose a great risk. Well... All of this information is very important, and it strikes me that the bottom line, once again, is A, buyer beware, and secondly, really check with your provider. And as you said so astutely, list, think of all of the things you put in your body in terms of these pills and supplements and whatever as medicine, and list it when you go to your provider. Michelle, once again, thank you so much. You always have such wonderful information. My guest has been Michelle Kaliva. She's a registered nurse, and she's the administrative director of the Upstate New York Poison Center. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.